What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. It is a really exciting time for us on the baseball side. We have brought on a ton of talent over these last few months, and their work is being rolled out on the website and at Ethos Fantasy BB as well. Stephen Bagel's roster preview series has been completed. He's written all of them, and they are being released now. The National League came out throughout last week and the week before, and now the American League pieces are going to start coming out this week as well. Now, in terms of the new talent, because Stephen's been with us for a little while, uh, we have some new people who I'm going to start introducing over on Twitter throughout these next couple of weeks. And one of those writers, Michael Fisher, he has produced a piece writing about the rule changes for 2023. That will be coming out in the next couple of days on the website. I think probably Wednesday at the latest. It'll be out on the website. Uh, We'll tweet out Twitter handles and stuff for you guys to follow. But there is a ton of stuff going on here at Sports Ethos, specifically on the baseball side. Uh, It's it's really exciting. So make sure you guys hop on board. Check out the website and follow Ethos Fantasy BB as well. Now, I'd planned on getting back to the pitcher reviews today, but there's been so much news over the last couple of days, really stretching back to last week, that I think we need to go over it. Now, We will get back to pitching. We will absolutely get back to pitching because there's still a lot to go over. We've done a couple of review shows. We've done three of our review shows. Uh, I'd plan on doing probably seven or eight of those. Plus, we're going to do, I mean, that's just for starters, and then we'll do a couple for relievers as well. We have a long way to go, but there's a lot of news breaking, and we might as well talk about it as it's been coming out. So I think the first thing worth mentioning here, because it kind of is the first domino, uh, is Jacob deGrom. He was the first real, true, big name to sign. There's been, well, I mean, I guess Jose Abreu. There's been a couple of little things. But Jacob DeGrom is the first groundbreaking deal here. He went to the Texas Rangers. Five years, $185 million, and he's got a 60-year option. That could make it worth $222 million. Full no-trade clause for DeGrom. It breaks down salary-wise. He'll make $30 million this year, and then $40 million, $40 million, $38, $37. That's a lot of money to invest in Jacob DeGrom. Now, this is the thing, right? If they don't invest, if teams don't spend up, then they're criticized for tanking or not giving a shit or the owners are cheap or whatever. And then a deal like this comes out and then people say it's a crazy overpay. How can you give five years to Jacob DeGrom with all the injuries and blah, blah, blah. It likely came down to the fact that he wasn't going to accept a deal shorter than five years in term. I think that was probably, and I haven't seen that specifically, but I think that that's the most likely outcome here. Uh, He's 34 years old. He'll be turning 35 during next season. I think he wants to have that security of knowing that he'll be around. I mean, that's the the thing with Jacob DeGrom. Like, if he is out there and healthy, he'll be around. But there's just so much concern about whether his elbow can really take a full workload anymore over the course of a full season that I think that he was happy to take that fifth year and, you know, be secured playing in the big leagues until he's 39, health permitting. I have some small problem with the fact that this is a really not competitive team yet. And, I mean, if you look at the Fangraphs projections, I think it was Rob Silver who was talking about it. Once their um, <clears throat> once the the Grom signing was announced, Fangraphs upgraded their projected wins for next year, and with the Degrom addition, they're only projected for sixty eight wins. I don't really understand why Degrom, who has already won a couple of Cy Youngs, <clears throat> would not want to aim for a World Series at this point. He would, I personally, I would have thought that he would want to go to a contender. At this stage of his career. That's, that's kind of what you want, you know, to put on the trophy shelf of World Series. You're already going to go down as one of the greatest pitchers of all time. You've got a couple of size. Why not go for the World Series? 
My only slight problem here, and I know people have been criticized for this exact take, is you know the whole chasing the money thing. And I don't, I don't know the other offers that were on the table, but if it was a four-year deal, similar average annual value, which you have to assume he was getting offers somewhere in this neighborhood, roughly, uh, you know, 185 over five <clears throat> breaks down to 37 million per year. It's hard to believe that a couple other teams wouldn't have offered him that. It's just coming down to the term. Now, when you're talking, and I know that this kind of money is just like, it seems like imaginary to most people listening. When you're talking about 185 million versus 160 million versus 170 million versus 190 million, it's hard to say, like, why would you not just go for the better team with maybe a little bit less money involved? Now, Texas, I believe, does not have income tax as a state. I don't think that they take anything off of that salary, which is definitely an incentive. But he's already filthy rich, and that's that's my problem here, and it's maybe not even a problem. It's just like if you look at DeGrom's career earnings, I think he's made $70, $80 million. This is obviously a nice chunk of change, but he was going to get a nice chunk of change wherever he went. I personally, again – being nowhere near Jacob deGrom and have no idea what in his what was going on in his head, I would have gone to a contender. Why would you not at least, you know, re-sign with the Mets or go to a team like the Yankees or Houston or whoever? Why why Texas? Uh, they've spent a lot of money the last couple of years, and I don't really think their team is going to be that good. Obviously, an addition of Jacob deGrom really helps, but, you know, they're projected the exact same as they were last year. So I'm, I, it's a little bit of a weird one for me with Degrom. Like he, he's taking the money, right? He's taking the money. Good for him. He has earned the money. But at the same time, I I would have gone for a World Series. I think that that's what a lot of people at this stage of their career are trying to do. Now, in terms of the fantasy aspect of it, this doesn't really change anything for me. I know that going from a better team to a worse team kind of sucks in terms of your win production because that's the only thing that really matters. You know, it doesn't particularly matter the strength of a defense behind DeGrom or anything like that like he is going to be ridiculously dominant wherever he is in terms of the Mets and the whole wins thing they haven't really given him much run support over the last couple of years anyway um, he hasn't I mean to be fair he hasn't been out there that much 12 starts in 2020 15 last year 11 this year and throughout that time 16 wins 16 wins out of what is it 20 38 DeGrom starts that's that's terrible, if, especially if you consider what he's done those last three years, like 238 ERA, 108 ERA, 308 ERA. Uh, it's, it's disappointing, and that's something where maybe you look at it and you say it doesn't really matter for fantasy so much. If he starts 15, I mean, hopefully he starts more than 15 games, but if he starts, let's call it, you know, 15, 17 games, I don't see that the win total would be necessarily that much different than it would be on the Mets. Run support is kind of a tricky thing. Uh, we saw it with Jordan Montgomery this season. It's not like, you know, the teams choose this. I think it's more random than anything else. But it had been a pattern over the last couple of years with DeGrom not getting help, not getting the proper amount of wins that he should have considering his performances. Like 2021, 15 starts, he won seven games. If you win half of your starts in baseball, that's very good. Most pitchers will start 30, 32 games. If you win 15 or 16 of them, that's really good. But he pitched to a 108 ERA. Like he was just stupid in 2021 when he was out there. You would have figured they would have won more than, or he would have won more than seven decisions there. But anyway, I don't think that is really the big thing here. For me, for fantasy wise, this doesn't really change anything. It still comes down to whether or not he'll be healthy, and that's still a huge, huge question mark. Steamer has him projected for 29 starts. Uh, again, Steamer for pitchers is 
a little funky sometimes. I don't know that we can expect 29 starts out of him. But if we're getting anything close to that, he's clearly the SP1. It's just a matter of how do you bake in the injury risk. He's probably, for me, I have to redo my rankings. I have to update them. But he's probably somewhere like in the back half of the top 10. And again, he should be one, but you have to factor in the injury concern as well. But his ranking will not really move for me because of this signing. I think that it's fairly neutral move uh, for his fantasy value. Now, in a corresponding move, the Mets went out and signed Justin Verlander this morning. When I was putting together the sheet for this morning's show, I was looking at the Justin Verlander stuff, and you know the latest thing when I was preparing the sheet was Verlander has interest from the Mets or something like that, and then by the time I'm getting ready to record here, he actually signed. So it is a, it's a pretty lucrative deal. Uh, it's not long-term, but it is for two years and $86 million. It's got a third-year option as well. This is an incredible replacement for, for the Mets. It only took him a couple days. They replaced DeGrom with Verlander. Now, you can't really replace, um, you can't de- replace DeGrom. He is far and away, when healthy, the best pitcher in baseball. But Justin Verlander, pretty damn close. Uh, I mean, he's not probably the second best pitcher in baseball, but he is coming off of a 18-win, 175 ERA season. Cy Young, World Series. Like, Verlander is a pretty adequate replacement. The only question here really is whether he can be healthy. 39 years old. He's going to be 40 before he throws another pitch in the bigs. I like the signing better than the DeGrom signing, I think, just because they're not locked down for five years. Uh, With DeGrom, we we don't really know what his long-term outlook is. Uh, Maybe he needs to go under the knife again and misses a year at some point. Like, we don't really know. Uh, With Verlander, he wants to pitch until he's 45 years old. He said that. Can he? Will he? Likely not. But if he can keep putting up seasons like this, I mean, there's no reason to stop him. I think that when you look at the numbers this year, he did very well. But we can't expect him to pitch to this same level again. Uh, 175 ERA with the lowest he's ever had. Uh, His strikeout percentage was kind of low, 9.5 per nine innings. It was at 27.8%, which is still very good, but for him... Uh, the previous seasons, 33, 35, 34, uh, he bounced around in the mid-20s earlier in his career in Detroit, and then really ramped up his strikeout numbers in Houston. They've gone back down a little bit. It is a slight concern. If you look at the pitching indicators from last year, they're still very good, 266, 249, uh, 323, and what was the Sierra? 309. Probably overperformed a little bit. Still a very solid signing for the Mets. And again, nothing that you really need to change fantasy-wise. Uh, he went from a great team to another great team, probably not as good of a team, but Verlander should be pretty safe. Now, that whole run support thing, uh, I think it's pretty random. I wouldn't expect Verlander to take over that DeGrom role, as stupid as that might sound. Uh, I, I wouldn't expect him to just be the guy who's not getting run support now. I think it's pretty random in that. In terms of that. In terms of the whole picture, I don't really have a strong opinion on it one way or the other. I personally thought that he was going to stay in Houston or retire, uh, but... I I don't know. I guess that they gave him what more than he was going to get from Houston, eighty six million over two years. I would have figured Houston would have would have thrown that money out there. Maybe he just wanted to switch it up. I don't know. I think for fantasy purposes, it's again a, a fairly neutral move. I don't see there being much need to adjust rankings or anything because of this. He's still roughly going to be like the tenth, twelfth pitcher probably by ADP. Uh, let me take a look at the ADP numbers right now. Actually, I think he's a about 10th as a starter, maybe a little bit lower even. No, he's actually a little bit lower than that. 
Uh, he's like in the 14 range. We're, so, we're talking about this last week with Michael Simeone. Uh, I think he's about the same as he was last week. Maybe he fell a pick or two. 48 by ADP, uh, the 19th overall pitcher off the board. I think that he'll probably still be generally in the same spot here. No need to to make any major adjustments with Justin Verlander based on this signing. I think truly with both of them, this doesn't do anything really um, for fantasy purposes. Wherever you were drafting them beforehand, I'd still feel just as comfortable signing both of them uh, at, the, at this exact same place. DeGrom... I mean, there's risk with both of them, right? Uh, DeGrom at pick 35, Verlander at 48, but the risk is kind of baked into where you're drafting them. Specifically, DeGrom at 35 could be an incredibly incredible steal, um, depending on if he's healthy or not. But I think that there's no need to really move them around uh, one way or the other too much based on these signings. Very interesting stuff. The hot stove is starting to get going, and there's some other stuff as well. I mean, there was a ton of news over this last weekend with some big names. The next thing we're going to talk about is Trey Turner. He's got some interest from the San Diego Padres. Now, this would be massive. I think we might have mentioned it before on the show, but if Trey Turner, I think we were mentioning actually in terms of Xander Bogarts, but if either one of them, specifically if Trey Turner goes into that lineup and you have a Trey Turner, Manny Machado, Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis, top four, mix them however you like, put them in any order you like, that's that's stupidly good. Um, with, with Turner... I don't know what to expect because he's also been tied to the Phillies quite a bit. I really don't know. And the thing that might prevent them from signing Trey Turner is the fact that they have to extend Juan Soto in the next couple of years. They could let him walk, um, but I, I don't think that they will. I think that it's probably asking a lot of a team like San Diego um, to do something like that. You get a massive contract coming in with Soto. <clears throat> he'll He'll need like as big of a contract as we've ever seen, most likely to stick around. Maybe he doesn't. And Joe Pisapia said it when we had him on the trade deadline show a few months ago. He did not think Soto would be back in San Diego. If they bring Trey Turner in, then I would tend to agree that maybe they don't retain Soto. Um, it's really tough to gauge right now what the Padres are going to do. Are they going to just spend you know, stupid amounts of money now going forward? I don't know that they will. Uh, they're already locked into Tatis, and they're locked into Manny Machado. I think they're still paying Eric Hosmer some money as well. <clears throat> I, I don't know that they're going to really make a big splash like this. I think for fantasy purposes, that would be about as good of a move as you could hope for for Trey Turner. <clears throat> Batting atop that lineup, you could argue it would become a better position than he was in with the Dodgers. Like It's very, very similar, and you know maybe they're more balanced in L.A., but that is a very top-heavy lineup. <clears throat> where you'd have to assume Trey Turner would be leading off or batting second. So that would be an incredible for his fantasy value. Even if he went to the Phillies, I think that would still be fairly neutral, maybe not quite as nice as if he's in San Diego or L.A. But you're still talking about leading off or batting second for a very strong lineup. Now, the absence of Bryce Harper if he went to Philly would probably impact him a little bit. Nothing crazy. He's still going to steal. He's still going to hit 300. still going to hit your home runs. You might see a bit of a, uh, a fall-off in his counting stats if he leaves the Dodgers, because I think he had close to 100 and 100 this season. Uh, what was the final tally? 101 runs, 100 RBIs. Maybe we don't see that if he leaves to go to Philadelphia, but he's another guy where the fantasy value is pretty safe wherever he goes. And I've heard some talk as well that, you know, with the Dodgers, he didn't need to be stealing that much, and not that much for him as 27 stolen bases. It's not like he's not faster or anything like that, <clears throat> or not fast anymore. Uh, Mike Petriello was putting out uh, some info on Twitter this morning about his sprint speed. 
and he's been 99th or 100th percentile sprint speed every year going back to 2016. It's not about that. Now, he's going to be 30 years old. Maybe he starts to slow down a little bit, but we've never seen him below like a 30 steal pace before this year. Throw away 2020, where he had 12 steals in 59 games. It's still a 30 steal pace. Uh, you know, going back to his rookie year, 33. I mean, discounting the first year where he played 27 games. Uh, from 2016 onwards, <clears throat> 33 steals, 46, 43, 35, 32, and 27. No reason for me why he can't get back over 30, specifically if he is in more of a leadoff or batting second kind of role. Because that wasn't really what he needed to be for the Dodgers. Uh, in terms of where he was in the lineup, he batted first 23 times, second 78 times, and third 59 times. Now, when he was in the leadoff spot, he stole five bases, 11 from the second spot, 11 from the third spot. I think if you just keep him consistently in a one or a two hole, those 30 steals will, will come back pretty easily. So Trey Turner, again, we don't need to spend so much time on this. I think that wherever he goes, he's going to be pretty safe. It's just very interesting to see these guys who, especially Trey Turner, who is projected in a lot of cases and by ADP, still the number one guy in these early draft champions. He's the number one guy. Uh, will that move around at all if he goes to another team? There's been a lot of talk of Jose Ramirez potentially being the one zero one, And maybe if Turner goes to the Phillies and people will say, you know what, we can't count on those counting stats anymore. Excuse the, the, it was not meant as a pun, count the counting stats. Uh, maybe if he leaves and goes somewhere where those are not so much of a sure thing, then we do see Jose Ramirez, uh, Julio Rodriguez, and Ronald Acuna start to go number one in a few more drafts because they are the guys who have been going number one. Uh, Shohei went number one in one draft, but or I'm not sure actually how many drafts, but his minimum pick is one, and then those other guys also minimum pick of one. Maybe Jose Ramirez does sneak in there uh, considering the scarcity of third base. For me, it's going to be Turner unless there's a really bad signing, unless he goes somewhere where there's not much of a team around him. I wouldn't really expect that, though. Uh, wherever Trey Turner is, he should be pretty safe for top two or three value. Now let's talk about the Orioles a little bit. They signed Kyle Gibson. I think that this is a pretty decent signing. And on top of the Kyle Gibson thing, they're also apparently interested in Carlos Rodon as well. Now this is a one-year contract with Kyle Gibson. He was kind of interesting this year because there were times when he was kind of reliable. He finished off like brutally over five ERA by the end of it. But there were times where you were streaming him in and you were pretty happy about it. He had a 293 ERA in March and April, or in April, I suppose. Uh, in August, the month of August, he had a 230 ERA. And then down the stretch, end of the season, September and October, a 973 ERA. It really fell off a cliff for him. There were parts of the year where he was a pretty damn reliable streamer. But it didn't end up uh, finishing off looking very pretty. If you just looked at the end of season stats, 505 ERA, not great. Now, if you do look at the pitching indicators, Sierra, 406, uh, XERA, 446, FIP, 428, XFIP, 394, everything below. Now, in terms of the move to Baltimore, you got that nice deep fence there in left field, which should help suppress home runs. That would be nice. Everything else, I, I don't see, again, too much of a need to change him here. I think it is a positive move, and I think of all the guys we're going to talk about today, he might be the most impacted by the signing. I think his ADP will probably jump up a little bit. Uh, let me see where it is right now. 581. He's really free at this point. Not a bad pitcher. Still somebody who can give you like a low fours, maybe high threes, even ERA. It's what he did in 2021. Over 31 starts. Gave you a 371. For the career, a 4-5 ERA. There's been some rough seasons mixed in there. But I think going to that ballpark, 
on a team like Baltimore, I mean, again, it's not an upgrade going from Philly to Baltimore, but I don't think he was likely to go back to Philly. Uh, it's not a bad location, especially considering a couple things. We've talked about the whole division um, division game breakdown. It's not going to be as many as it usually is. So those who fear, like, oh, he's in the American League East now, he's unusable, those starts, I think it was 72 games in previous years where you had to play against the division. Now it's 54. So take two or three or four starts that he would have had against the Yankees, let's say one Yankee, one Toronto, one Tampa start, and make them, you know, random American League teams. It could have been any other team there. And getting out of that division is definitely good for any pitcher. And we talked about it with Nestor Cortez. It's a big reason why I like him more uh, than I think consensus this year as well. That's something that is being factored in, but I don't think it is being factored in quite enough. A guy like Gibson can still give you 10, 12 wins, all right, ERA. Like I think in a draft champions, he makes a lot of sense to take, especially at this price. 581. That's that's really cheap. Uh, minimum pick was 486, but he did last in one draft until 690. It's not going to blow you away by any stretch of the imagination. He's not going to blow you away. But you got an up and coming team there in Baltimore. Should be able to win some more games. And I think Kyle Gibson profiles as a decent little addition there. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm going to take a look at roster resource and see where they have him slotted in in the rotation. Because that was something with them that was their, their big hole, really. I, I know they got some decent stretches from different guys this year. Uh, but their pitching was was pretty poor. Now, he's currently slotted in as the SP1. Whether or not he ends up that way, uh, I, I'm not sure. But I think that this is a positive move for Kyle Gibson's fantasy value. In Philadelphia, he, he wasn't great throughout the entirety of the season. Uh, but move him into Baltimore there, he'll lose some home runs. Or some home runs will stay in the ballpark as opposed to leaving where they would have in Philadelphia. I, I like it. I, I like it overall. I think that you're getting down to this range in a draft. You can't really get hurt too much anyway. Uh, I think Kyle Gibson will be someone who can eat a lot of innings for you, give you a decent ERA, give you okay numbers, like not crazy strikeouts, a little bit below average, but also below average walk numbers. So the whip shouldn't be terrible. Again, I'm not advocating you reach up the board for him or anything like that, but I think that there is still going to be some value in having Kyle Gibson later in your draft. Uh, let's not spend too much time on Kyle Gibson, though. Uh, Carlos Rodon is the other one who I think is kind of interesting. They have apparently reached out to him, and I'm not sure the most recent report here because things are happening so uh, But yeah, they're talking with Rodon, and they also met with Noah Syndergaard. Rodon, I think that would be a nice move. Uh, for the similar reasons that you see with Kyle Gibson – Fewer home runs will be allowed. Uh, the ballpark, that is probably probably the biggest one. But also, like I think as a whole, Baltimore is going to be a really nice team. If you look at their lineup, it's projected to be Mullins, Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, Santander, Mountcastle as the top five. That's really solid. And then you got Ramon Urias, Kyle Stowers, uh, Austin Hayes, and Jorge Mateo for the bottom four. Maybe they add in another piece or so there. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the plan will be with the bottom of the order, but the top five in the order looking really, really good there. Uh, they make a couple of changes. Like they brought in Gibson. If they bring in Carlos Rodon, they could make some noise. They could potentially make the playoffs. Like I, I know that sounds insane. If you're saying this a year ago, you had been laughed out of the place, but they won 83 games this year. Like I don't see why if you bring in a couple of really nice pitchers, you couldn't get that closer to 90. I know that they had a bit of a, a lucky run, some will say, but I think that they're a really, really good team. You give them an ace like Rodon, that could do wonders for the team. And for Rodon, it would be a, a net positive move for him from San Francisco. They were a bad team this year. Not to say that they're going to be a bad team every year. I think that they were actually uh, close to 500. 
But I think you take whatever he learned in San Francisco and in the last year in Chicago, whatever he changed, uh, you know, carry that over with him. And we talked a little bit last week about pitch mix. He was using the fastball more. Uh, he's not throwing the changeup at all anymore. Keep those same kind of mechanics and same kind of pitch mixes that you've learned over these last couple of years and carry them over to Baltimore. Uh, I think that, I mean, I'm, I'm projecting here, he hasn't signed anywhere. But if he does go to Baltimore, I think that that would be a really solid move for him. Like, he is an ace. He has turned into an ace. He's not somebody where I don't think needs to be constantly monitored by, you know, he needs to be in a good pitching organization for him to succeed. I don't think that that is the case anymore after these last couple of seasons. He maintained pretty much exactly the same numbers that he had in 2021 uh, over a slightly, not even slightly larger, over 40 plus more innings uh, in 2022. So wherever Odon goes, I like him, but I think that would be a really sneaky get by the Orioles. Uh, I think that that would be probably about as good as they can hope for. Because there's not going to really be drawing big names. You know, Kyle Gibson, okay. Uh, you're not going to be getting massive, massive talent there. I think Carlos Rodon would be about as good as they can hope for. And considering how he's been these last couple of seasons, uh, he would be very clearly slot in as the ace of that lineup. So uh, I really like that move if it were to happen. Syndergaard. Syndergaard is just fine. I think he's not anything crazy. Uh, no big strikeout numbers anymore from him. Uh, he had a 394 ERA over the course of the season, but I don't think that he's really someone that's going to be so attractive outside of, you know, a deeper draft champions. I wonder where his current ADP is. Um, let's see, 377. I'd rather take Kyle Gibson 200 picks later, to be honest. Like, I don't really trust Syndergaard. We'll see where he signs, but uh, not a huge Syndergaard fan anymore. I was devastated when the Blue Jays traded him away about 10 years ago. Uh, with Travis Darno for R.A. Dickey. But at this point of his career, I I'm not a big Syndergaard guy, regardless of where he goes. I don't think those strikeouts are coming back. If he was on, like, an elite team, you know, if he was the fifth starter for Houston or something, I'd be a little more interested, a la, like, a Jose or Keedy situation. But I, I don't think you can trust him outside of being on an elite team anymore to try and bank some extra wins because you're not going to get it with the strikeouts. ERA was fine this year, but I don't know if we're going to see that necessarily stick going forward. I'm... I'm pretty out on Syndergaard outside of, you know, if you're in a draft champion, sure, he's going to get taken. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't go reaching for him regardless of where he goes. Uh, not, not really such a great option at this point of his career anymore. But I do want to move on. I do want to talk about a couple more things. Brian Reynolds has requested a trade from Pittsburgh. And uh, the funniest thing that I saw was no, no one's really sure why he's requested a trade. Like, it's not because the franchise is piss poor and doesn't spend money on anything. And, you know, Carl Santana is their biggest free agent signing in six years. None of those things matter here. No one, you know, it's a head scratcher why he'd want to get out of here. He's a young dude. He's a switch hitter. He's a really, really good baseball player who doesn't want to be spending his prime playing for a shitty organization. I think that's pretty much what it comes down to. Now, his year this season, not nearly as good as the previous year. Uh, batting average fell 40 points, sure. Now, home runs went up a couple uh, the counting stats did suffer as a result of just playing for a shitty team. It happens. 93 runs and 90 RBIs turned into 74 and 62 this year. Stole a couple more bases. Overall, it wasn't really a great year for him, and I think that if they had traded him last offseason, the price would have been a little bit higher. It's still going to be pretty high for a switch-hitting center fielder uh, who's able to give you 25 home runs. Maybe the batting average comes back up. It's hard for me to really say what his batting average is going to look like. In his first year, he was 314. In the short season, it was 189. 
and then last year 302 and then 262 this year. I think that he can get it up probably close to 300 again. Is he going to be a 300 hitter every single year? I'm I'm really not sure. It's it's kind of hard to say at this point with him. I think he can be a high twos hitter. Maybe we're pushing it a little bit, expecting him to bat over 300. But he's going to be a hot commodity. I know the Yankees have been linked to him. The Blue Jays have also been linked to him. And the problem with the Blue Jays is that their main trade chips right now are catchers. And Pittsburgh has Andy Rodriguez, and they have um, Henry Davis. And they don't need catchers. So unless Toronto is able to pull off some other kind of trade, I don't see him going there. I don't know exactly what the market would look like for him uh, in terms of a return that would be expected, like a top a top prospect, a major league player as well. Like I'm not really sure exactly. It can't be the highest price. It's not going to be cheap. Uh, but I, I'm really interested to see where he goes for his fantasy value because if he goes pretty much anywhere, and you know, there's some talk that maybe he won't go anywhere, uh, the the Pirates told him to kick rocks. You're going to be here. Uh, you can't you can't force us to trade you. Sure, he's got like three years of team control left. But there's also been a report that like there is no relationship there. So if Brian Reynolds gets traded to the Yankees, to the Blue Jays, to <clears throat> really anywhere, you have to inc- you have to move him up the board a little bit. I think what he's doing is is really I mean it's obviously very good. Uh, home run wise, 24, 27 the last couple of years. A couple of steals, you'd maybe hope for a few more. If he can give you similar numbers to what he did in 2021, which he should be able to, playing for a competent organization. If he's playing for a, a team like this that where there's no help around him, then it's going to be pretty hard. But let's just say he's the opening day center fielder for the Blue Jays. He's batting. It's hard to say how they're going to set the lineup next year. Maybe second, maybe fifth or sixth. Either way. Uh, he's going to jump up in price, and he should. He's currently going as the 100th pick off the board in NFBC drafts, and we're talking draft champions here. If you guys have played those Gladiator formats, I filtered them out because they are going to skew the ADP numbers. It's a totally different kind of game there, and it can't really be put into the whole thing. Just looking at draft champions, his ADP is 100.7. That's going to jump up quite substantially, I think, if he does get traded, and it looks like he will get traded. So, if you're in a draft right now and Brian Reynolds is sitting there past pick 100, I'd be pretty inclined to go ahead and take him, depending on if you need outfielders, and you probably do uh, in a draft champions. You need five starting outfielders and then probably at least another four or so on the bench to really be comfortable, at least maybe five, six. It's hard to say, really. Uh, I, I've never done draft champions until this year, uh, and I'm realizing in the drafts that I've done, like you need to you need to get outfielders. So if you're getting past pick 100, if Brian Reynolds is still sitting there, I would absolutely take a chance on him, especially because I think it's very likely that we're going to see him traded here in the next couple of days. Maybe it takes a little bit longer than that, but before next season, I, I don't think he'll wear a Pirates uniform again, and I don't think he should. Um, guys, I want to move on here to the next point. Xander Bogarts. So there's been a lot of talk about Xander Bogarts. Apparently, they haven't made him a competitive offer. Very strange. Like, I, I know I've talked about this, and I was kind of expecting this. If you guys have listened to the pod, I was expecting the Red Sox to kind of blow it up a little bit. That's why I've been a bit lower on Rafael Devers. But to not even try, to not make him any kind of offer, I guess they're just, you know, giving up, saying whatever. Uh, they offered him a one-year extension in spring training, one-year $30 million deal. He rejected that. And throughout the whole season, there was deteriorating relationship between the two sides. We saw reports throughout the year that he was unhappy and they were directionless and this and that. 
it's not going to look good for the Red Sox next season. I, I'm, I'm really expecting it. I mean, first of all, it looks like Bogarts is gone. And if Bogarts is gone, then I wonder if they really care about keeping this current core together because there isn't really much of a core without him. You got Devers, you got Verdugo, you got J.D. Martinez, who's going to walk. You got Trevor Story. It's not going to be great. Specifically, I know I said the division games aren't going to matter as much next year, but it's still a very strong division. You're still looking at four other teams who could make the playoffs. The Red Sox are looking like a bit of a disaster, and this is why I was low on on Rafael Devers, because Bogarts leaves. Maybe we don't see Devers put up the same kind of counting stats we're hoping for. He already fell off this year compared to last year by, like, I'm not looking at Devers' numbers right now, but it was like 25 runs, 25 RBIs kind of thing. He's projected in a lot of projections for over 100 of each, and I just don't see it specifically. I mean, even with Bogarts, that's a tall order, 100 runs and 100 RBIs. I know Devers is great, but if Bogarts leaves, I think that that probably signals the end of an era. Maybe we see Devers get dealt, and then we have to reevaluate everything. Maybe he gets dealt to a good team, and then you know our fears are for naught. But if, you know, hypothetically, let's just say Bogarts leaves, try and extend Devers, or Devers sticks around, his fantasy value is not going to be great. Bogarts, I think, will be fine because he'll probably go to a good team. He'll probably slot into a good lineup right at the top there. Anyway, top five of the lineup. Not sure where they'd place him exactly. Uh, but this is not looking great in terms of the Red Sox outlook for fantasy. I mean, I've talked about Alex Verdugo, how I'm going to be drafting him a lot. He's probably about the only guy I really feel comfortable with. Like when I did my initial rankings, I had Rafael Devers in the mid-30s. A lot of people have him a lot higher. His ADP is 19. I don't see it. I don't want him there, especially without Bogarts. I think that that's looking like it's going to be a disaster for the Red Sox. So something to really monitor. He's not coming back, it looks like. They haven't made him an offer. So we have to assume that the Bogarts era in Boston is done. Very interesting to keep an eye on what happens there. We just have one more piece of news to go over today before I let you guys go. It's a trade from a couple days ago between Seattle and Milwaukee. Colton Wong going to Seattle. Jesse Winker and Abraham Toro going to the Brewers. So let's start off with Jesse Winker here. He was incredibly disappointing in Seattle. He played in 136 games, 14 homers, 53 driven in. The big thing was his 219 batting average. Now, these last couple of years, he's really looked like he is going to be close to a 300 hitter. Going back even to his first year, first couple of seasons, which were abbreviated, 299, 298 batting average, and then 269 in his first relatively full season, 113 games, 255 during the short year, which we've kind of thrown away the short year, and then 305 last season, 219 this year. Even with the 219 from this season in there, he's still a 270 hitter for the career. The home runs were gone. He was walking more, but he was also striking out more. It was a very weird season for Jesse Winker. He was actually walking a lot more. Like He's always been a huge OBP guy, uh, but he was walking more than 15% of the time this year, wa- uh, striking out just below 19% of the time. I think in Milwaukee, maybe we could see him rebuild some of his value there uh, because, I mean, this is not the Jesse Winker that we know. He can definitely do a lot more in a season than this. Being such a high OBP guy is huge for you guys in OBP leagues. Even this year, he had a 344 on-base percentage. The career on-base percentage is 374. Uh, I think you give him a year there in that lineup, he might be able to rebuild some of his value long-term. Now, I am not huge about Milwaukee's lineup as a whole, but if they keep it the way it is currently constructed, now there's talk that they'll trade and they'll do all kinds of crazy things, but if they keep it the way it is, Yelich 1, Adamas 2, Rowdy 3, 
I mean, Luis Urias penciled into the four slot, but I could see Jesse Winker batting fourth there. I think that that would be a good move for him. You know, it wasn't a great fit for him in Seattle. Sometimes those things are overlooked. Uh, there was talk down the stretch of this season that he wasn't a great fit in the clubhouse. There were some fights. I know there was that incident with Seattle uh, where guys were getting thrown at. I think it was in June or July, maybe. Uh, and he, I forget what exactly he did. I think he might have punched somebody. He got suspended and he was hurt. And, you know, it was just a weird season for him, even though he ended up playing a lot more than you might expect, 136 games. But just a very disappointing season. I think that he can go back to closer to what 2021 was for him, 24 homers, 70-odd RBIs, batting close to 300. Maybe he's not going to be a 300 hitter, but it's not even out of the realm of possibility. He could give you like a 280, 290 batting average pretty easily. Uh, I just, you know, this was just a terrible season. And I am willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and throw it away. He is really a good baseball player, and he did not look like it this season. So heading into next year, I think I'm just going to take a look at his ADP, see if it's moved around at all. Uh, I think I'm going to be pretty interested in him. ADP of 308, pretty pretty inexpensive. Uh, you're getting an outfielder at that price who can go for a really, really great stat line, hypothetically. Uh, he could give you 25 homers, he could give you 70 RBIs, and he could bat over 300. And at that range of the draft, not many guys are looking like they're going to probably do that for you. And maybe he won't probably do that, uh, but it's certainly, certainly acceptable. It's certainly very possible that he would do that. Uh, 20 home runs, very likely. You know, the runs batted in are very hard to project, but, you know, around 70, I don't see any problem with that. And the batting average, of course. And even if you're not in a batting average league, that on-base percentage is going to be there. He's got a great eye. For the career, he walks 13% of the time, which was exceptional. Only strikes out 17% of the time. There's a lot to like about Jesse Winker overall, and he's being kind of forgotten about in drafts. So getting into the 300s, uh, I think he makes for a really interesting grab there. Colton Wong, uh, you know, because, okay, I guess I mentioned Abraham Toro. There's nothing really going on fantasy-wise here. Uh, he's not going to be, I mean, I wonder if he's even got an ADP. I mean, I'm sure he's got an ADP, but 662. Uh, he's not somebody you need to be worrying about for fantasy. He showed, I know, decent power, I guess. He had 10 home runs this year, 11 last year. Uh, but the batting average is terrible. Doesn't get on base a ton. Uh, there's not really a lot of speed there. And I'm not really sure about the kind of role that he's going to have. So uh, I'm actually going to see if they haven't projected in the starting lineup here. I doubt it. But let's take a look. Uh, no, he's not currently projected in the starting lineup. I don't think there's really going to be any need to be taking him uh, in, in any fantasy league. But Colton Wong, I think Colton Wong could be an interesting pickup. We've talked about him a couple times this offseason as being a pretty cheap guy who can give you like 10-plus homers, 10-plus steals, and a decent batting average. Uh, this season, 15 homers, 17 steals. Last year, 14 homers, 12 steals, and 251 and 272 batting average, respectively. Like, you will take that. Uh, he's not very expensive, Colton Wong. And again, I've, I'm looking in the wrong places here for ADP. I'm used to looking at Milwaukee for him. Uh, 240 is his ADP going into next season. I think that that is pretty reasonable, uh, more than reasonable, honestly. I would be taking Colton Wong in that range. Uh, you're getting somebody who is a second baseman, not a lot of those floating around, give you more than 10 steals, more than 10 home runs, not killing you anywhere in batting average. And he's actually going into a really good lineup, like, it didn't work for Winker because there was some other stuff going on there. And he had a down year to go along with the whole, you know, problems with the teammates and stuff like that. This is a lineup where you are very capable of succeeding if you are, you know, a relatively decent hitter. Julio, Ty France, Eugenio Suarez, Cal Raleigh, 
Teoscar Hernandez, it still hurts to see Teoscar Hernandez in this lineup. And then Colton Wong, penciled in as the six hitter. Kellenic seven, Tom Murphy eight, JP Crawford nine. That's a really good lineup. No reason to think Colton Wong can't do what he did last season and the year before again this season. 10, 15 homers, 10, 15 steals, and give you decent batting average while playing most of the time. At second base, at this point in the draft, I, I'd be interested in Colton Wong, and I am interested in Colton Wong. I think that he's going to play every single day, and he'll be a, a really solid asset this year. So definitely keep an eye if you're getting into that range. He is one of the more interesting guys moved today probably. Now, I think it's not really going to matter so much for fantasy value. He's not a huge runs or RBI guy. He was 65 runs this year, 47 ribbies. Last year, 70 and 50. That shouldn't move around too much, but I think overall this lineup uh, is, is going to be a net positive for Colton Wong. Maybe you see a couple more runs batted in, but overall uh, you should expect something kind of similar here uh, to what he's done these last couple of seasons. And I just got a big notification on my phone. So I guess we're not quite done yet. I thought we were going to be done for today, but apparently not. And it's about somebody we were talking about earlier, Trey Turner. I guess by the time you guys are hearing this, you guys have already have known this. Trey Turner just signed. And I think it is official. Let me just double check here, make sure we've got the pass and tweet. Uh, yep, it's official. Trey Turner has signed an 11-year, $300 million contract with the Philadelphia Phillies. Holy shit. Everything's coming at once here, guys. Uh, I might have to just keep recording, just keep going, depending on what else comes out. Uh, shit, Trey Turner signed. I mean, the most recent report that I heard that was seen online, I think it was the score that said it, was San Diego was interested in him. But 11 years, $300 million for Turner to Philadelphia. So like we talked about earlier, for me, this doesn't really move around his ADP or his fantasy outlook very much. Maybe we don't see him get <clears throat> quite the same level of runs and RBIs. 101 runs, 100 RBIs is last year. 100 runs should still be well within the cards. Maybe the RBIs go back down to somewhere in the 70s or 80s. But that should, in turn, see his steals go back up, I think, depending on where they have him in the lineup. And I wonder how quick roster resource will be. I doubt they'll have it up here yet. I mean, they're good, but that's like immediate. Let's, let's see if they've got it. Uh, they don't. They don't have it yet. But, I mean, unless they're really dead set on keeping Schwarber in the leadoff spot, I think that that's probably where Turner belongs. Maybe he goes into the two-hole. But, I wow, that's a crazy move. I mean, it's not like we weren't expecting it. We were kind of expecting it. But uh, just to actually see it happen, Trey Turner. So that means, wow. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I'm just kind of, you know, every now and then this happens when you record and you get a piece of news. It doesn't tend to happen during the season as much. But uh, during the offseason, you're bound to have these kind of moments happen. So, that opens up a spot for the Dodgers to go out and sign. Maybe it's Xander. Maybe it's Carlos Correa. Maybe it's Dansby Swanson. I don't know what the Dodgers are going to do now, but they're going to have to go out and spend some money to make themselves feel better. Absolutely. Like, not even like their lineup needs it necessarily. I think that they could go truly without replacing him and still make the playoffs next year. Uh, but they're going to go out and get one of those top shortstops available. By the time you guys are hearing this, who knows with the way stuff's coming out today. Uh, maybe we will have seen a Correa sign with the Dodgers. But I'm just looking at the term here. 11-year deal for Trey Turner. Now, his birthday, he's currently 29. His birthday is in, uh, uh, when is his birthday? Jesus, you think Google would be a little more reliable than that. Uh, it didn't even tell me. Uh, Trey Turner is born June 30th, 1993. So he'll turn 30 years old next year. He'll be locked into this contract until he's 40 years old. I guess, you know, you have to give a little bit extra in term in order to secure these guys. 
honestly good for Philadelphia. Good for Philadelphia for going out there and making this move despite gutting to the World Series, not being complacent and saying, you know what, we did a good job this year. Uh, you know, the fan base is going to be satisfied, whatever. No. They got Trey Turner. They've got Kyle Schwarber. Like, they've got Reese Hoskins. They have a really deep team. That's not even talking about uh, Bryce Harper, who's going to be out a lot of the year. But we're looking at a very deep lineup. Nick Castellanos has a bounce-back year, which is very much possible, probably likely. JT Real Muto does what he does. Maybe Alec Bowman, Bryson Stott progress a little bit. This could be an incredible team, specifically when Bryce Harper comes back. It'd be a fun team to mess around with in MLB The Show and put these lineups together because, oh, no, see, they've already updated it. They have Turner in the lineup here, and they've slotted him in at number two. So Schwarber, Turner, Hoskins, Real Muto, Castellanos, Derek Hall, Alec Bohm, Bryson Stott, Brandon Marsh. That's already a fantastic lineup without even having Bryce Harper in there. Ah, man, they're going to be a good team. You talk about a team with Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler at the top of the rotation. They got Dominguez and Alvarado, really solid pieces in that bullpen. I don't think they're done. I don't think that they're done. I think they're going to keep on adding. Uh, Steven Bagel <clears throat> is going to be very happy about this, being a Philadelphia fan. This is a big move. This is maybe the biggest move we're going to see of the offseason. I mean, of course, okay, I misspoke. Aaron Judge, wherever Aaron Judge goes, will be the biggest deal of the offseason. But this is going to be right up there in terms of average annual value. I'm not sure in terms of biggest contracts of all time. Um, it's definitely up there, though. Biggest MLB contract. Um, I'm, I'm curious, and I'm going to keep you guys. I know this is really great radio. Uh, I just want to see how where this ranks in terms of like the biggest deals ever signed in terms of total money. And I think he's going to be, let's see, fifth, tied with, tied with Manny Machado for fourth, actually, uh, in terms of the money. $300 million. The only contracts that are more lucrative, Garrett Coles, uh, Corey Seegers, and Bryce Harper's, I believe, unless this is maybe outdated. But no, I think this is fairly up to date, yeah. This is, that's a big move. That is probably the biggest move we're going to see for a while, unless Aaron Judge signs. But Trey Turner is my favorite player in baseball. This is, this is exciting. I mean, it was exciting having him on the Dodgers, but just any kind of new horizon for a guy like him, especially when there is a potential to see the stats, maybe even get a little bit better. Like, okay, the batting average, that could easily bounce back up to the mid-threes range where he was last year. 320, 330-ish. The steals, I think, should bounce back up again, and I don't think the, the loss of a couple RBIs there is really going to matter so much for his fantasy value. This is a big move. This is something that, for me, though, it doesn't move him off of the one zero one. If you want to take Jose Ramirez there, I would understand it. But for me, uh, this move is really, really interesting for Trey Turner's fantasy value. Guys, I'm going to leave you there because this has been a longer show than I anticipated, uh, but things like that do happen during the offseason. I feel like I should probably just refresh Twitter one time before I, before I hit the pause button on this recording because there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, Louisa Rise apparently being shopped around too. Kershaw re-signed with the Dodgers. There's a ton of news. Maybe we'll do another news show tomorrow depending on what happens, but I do plan on getting back to starting pitching. I do want to keep going with those reviews, and then we'll move into relief pitchers next week or the week after. But very exciting time to be a baseball fan. Uh, this is a lot of fun seeing these signings come in. I remember we were recording when the A.J. pollock Craig Kimbrell trade went down in the offseason. We talked about that off the top or when it happened uh, very exciting for me when that kind of thing happens because you know you plan out the show, you try and make sure you know what's gonna you're gonna talk about, but then you see something like that, I you can't just not talk about it. That's a huge move. Um, very, I'm very excited to see what happens in the rest of this off season. But guys, uh, that will do it. I will stop rambling now. Appreciate you guys bearing with me there because that was uh, 
wasn't prepared for that. That just kind of popped up there. I uh, had to play it by ear. But I really appreciate you guys continuing to check out the pod at JoeOrico99 and at EthosFantasyBB on Twitter. Specifically, EthosFantasyBB is the spot where all of our baseball content will be released from. I will try and reshare it when I can on my own account. I have more followers on my account than the baseball account, so I'll try and push some of them over there. Uh, but you guys can really help out by just hitting the follow at EthosFantasyBB. Go check out the website at SportsEthos.com. And if you feel so inclined, please do re- leave a review, uh, you know, some kind of rating and review on the podcast. We'd really appreciate that as well. But guys, until tomorrow, uh, I hope you guys enjoy the hot stove season because this is, like I've said a million times, the, one of the best times of the season. Uh, there's this, there's drafting, there's playoffs, but this is right up there. So I hope you guys enjoy and I hope you guys stay safe until we see you again tomorrow. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.